Welcome back, one and all, to another new episode of the What the Niche podcast with your ever-grateful host, Andrew Morris. It's great to be back with another exciting conversation for your ear holes this week. Before I jump in, I have one quick announcement. Please find your way to any of the podcast hosting platforms and subscribe to the What the Skit series that I started a few weeks back. I will be launching a new episode of that next week. That's all I've got for this week's shout outs and updates. So let's get right into the show. In this week's episode, we learn how those wonderful pieces of music that you blare in your noise-canceling headphones find their magic as we dive into the world of music production. The creative goal in making music is the same as, you know, a rainstorm or just the way the waves hit the beach. You know, there's a, a perfection that we try to approximate. That's the goal. Everything I do, whether it's producing or signing an artist, always starts with the songs. When I'm listening, I'm looking for a balance that you can see in anything. Whether it's a great painting or a building or a sunset, there's just a natural human element to a great song that feels immediately satisfying. I like the song to create a mood. The immersive listening also helps him achieve a better understanding of the artist he's working with. Like I can talk to him about a little rapper in Atlanta, and then we can go talk about somebody from the 80s, and then we can go talk about Frank Ocean, like we could jump, like he can, and he can stick with every conversation, every genre, like, like a music god, for real. And that personal connection is the foundation of the creative journey that Ruben begins with the artist. With confidence, trust, and understanding established, the artist can begin to express their true vision. Many people don't listen. If you listen carefully, people explain to you what it is that they need. I'll spend time with an artist and listen very carefully to what they tell me and get them to talk about their true goals, their highest, highest goals. We'll go back to the heart of why they started doing what they are doing in the first place. I spend time with the artist and kind of see where they're at and uh, imagine, I try to imagine what them at their best is and um, then try to set up whatever situations we can to allow that to happen. After helping them realize their innermost ambitions and desires, he then begins the process of shedding away the layers of self-doubt by minimalizing the distractions that often hinder true self-expression. The goal is to create a, a setting where an artist can be completely vulnerable and feel completely free to be themselves hundred percent. It would be easy for Ruben to simply end the process here, but for the artist, the journey is just beginning. After crossing the first threshold, the real work begins. The process is grueling and Ruben's pursuit of transcendence is a demanding expedition. So the idea of shifting that, um, reframing the experience to, to not, not just well, let's just get in it. Let's just do an album. But let's do whatever it takes for it to be the best album you've ever made. What would that sound like? How would that work? How much work would go into it? Are you willing to commit to that? Yeah. Um, it's, it's not easy. 
Growing up, I lived in a perpetual state of sound. The soundtrack of my life was as wide-ranging as my personality. Pink Floyd, Cher, Beastie Boys, Elton John, ACDC, and the eclectic list goes on. The soul of my youth is connected to snapshots of song. Cold treks to the bus stop were more tolerable as the lyrics from James Heffield reverberated through my head. Long bike rides were paced according to the rhythms of the artist of the day. Music inspired, motivated, moved, and consoled me. I mean, what adolescent debacle was complete without the proper angsty score to accompany the drama. Life-changing seems to be the only constant. Tastes are malleable, but music always finds its place. There was an era in which the words of Dr. Dre or Corpse Grinder resonated deeply with my desire for outrage and destruction. And now my heart finds solace in the lines of artists like Amos Lee, or the head and the heart, finding a relationship with notions of the bonds of friendship and the optimism of love. Time deconstructs our whims while simultaneously rebuilding our desires anew. Sometimes it feels as though the chords and melodies are clairvoyant, providing you a sense of relief for a problem you have yet to encounter. The words create chasms of emotion, every feeling encapsulated in a perfectly constructed piece, every thought expressed in thoughtful strings of words. The music acts as a grand facilitator, giving us every ounce of solace we may need in a moment of grief, allowing us every gallon of adrenaline we need to climb the last hill. The musicians, writers, and producers acting as deities of sound. And to all of you grand creators of the symphonies acting as the backdrops to our lives, I say thank you for helping me through a lifetime of tribulations and joy. And that brings me to today's guest. Chase Bensing is a husband, artist, guitarist, red beard aficionado and a music producer and during our chat we discuss the intricacies of producing music we also delve into how growing older can impact how you feel about the world of music as a whole overall i found our conversation to be uplifting and fun it was great to catch up with someone i consider family i hope my listeners enjoy this wonderful chat and I must take a quick moment to point out the background music today comes from Chase's band, Parallel Colors. And I'm going to let the song play out in its entirety to lead into our conversation today.
Uh, I'm Chase Vincent. I do play music. <laughs> um, I re probably about five-ish years ago, I seriously got interested in doing music production, engineering, mixing, recording, mastering, and all that stuff. And I play guitar. I've been playing guitar for over half of my life at this point. I'm 30, I'll be 35. I've been playing guitar since I was 16. That's pretty much it. You'd think you'd be better, but yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> just the dig. Um, yeah. yeah. And just to be clear, uh, I know chase from the band that we were in together, uh, the white Lotus, uh, chase is also neglected to mention. He was in another band called parallel colors. Um, oh, yeah. so, am in currently am, am in. Yeah. Am in presently. Exactly. Yeah, currently in this band, uh, as we give each other an English lesson. Uh, um, so I think it's interesting to kick off these conversations um, with something that most people have encountered, especially when they're in part of, you know, these individual, these specific niche groups, uh, such as musicians, uh, which is pretty broad, but, you know, still probably not as common as people might think, you know, people that are actual musicians that play instruments and have been in bands and things of that nature. Um, what are some common misconceptions some preconceived notions that people have had about you as a musician? Uh, I don't know if it's particularly about me, but I think the general misconception, well, I don't, I don't know how to, how to frame this one up. I think, uh, a big preconceived notion about musicians is that musicians are generally just like crazy hardcore partiers and just want to live that rock star life. And, uh, that may, I don't know, maybe when I was younger, I was that way to an extent, but I mean, I'm an old dude in the music scene now, so I'm definitely not that anymore. And, uh, I mean, for the most part, like, you you weren't when we were in a band together and no i, I would have drink yeah knowing how you are now i would assume that if you're in a band now you wouldn't you still even though you you do drink now i don't think that you would be like rock star life <laughs> in a um, band now no and then you know that is um Going back to my youth, you know, I started, uh, I was in four bands, uh, four major bands. I was in some other little, well, I won't say, well, I don't want to hate on anybody, but some other little projects uh, uh, that didn't take up as much as my time. Um, when I was younger, yeah, we do. We partied like every weekend. Uh, yeah. You know, with my name being Andrew, my buddies used to nickname our parties the Andrew WK parties uh, because <laughs> it was... It was the shit of movies, man. Uh, you know, we, there was a party where I had somebody make a pallet or not a pallet, a pile of things to sleep on out on the roof because the window nice. in my parents' house. And we used to have these parties at my parents when they were home. Uh, so it was, it was a unique situation. I, I would play a show and I'd be like, everybody party in my house. And yeah. there'd be 200 people at the show. And I'd be like, you're all invited. And yeah. uh, if you don't know where it is, figure it out. And people would show up. There'd be 60 or 70 people show up at my parents' house. And uh, there was people fall asleep on the roof. Somebody puked on a bed. And then rather than cleaning up, we just threw the mattress out the window. Uh, literally pushed Sounds it out reasonable. the window. Yeah, it seemed like the right thing to do. Uh, I set a dude's feet on fire. 
because uh, I lit pure green alcohol. Uh, Dylan Rowe can attest to that. Brand new shoes. Me and him would, you know, really been acquaintances until that point. He's at my house for like 10 minutes and I set his brand new shoes on fire. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in my younger days, and I think that was a lot of the reason, like, when I came into that second band, uh, or, I mean, third band, rather, with you guys and the White Lotus, I had mm-hmm. kind of already done all that. So I was kind of like, let's just focus on the music. For me, anyway, you know, I know you guys yeah. partied and, you know, our old guitar player who I've already, I've already had on the podcast, Eric Chavez, uh, did things like bringing a lawnmower inside the house and starting <laughs> the lawnmower and yeah. trying to mow the uh, the carpet, I well, guess. Was, whenever we were in a band together, because my dad's house was the practice house, Yeah, that our, his house became the post-show party house. Yeah. So, yeah. It never yeah. reached like crazy numbers, but we got goofy. No. Yeah. Uh, I think there was most was like 10 or 15 and, but we would just get fucking smashed. I got smashed maybe a couple times, but yeah, nothing crazy. Like every weekend, like I was in the X3 right. and things of that nature. Yeah. Probably so, for the best. <laughs> yeah. As an older person. Um, are there any other things that you've uh, encountered as a producer? So, you know, you mentioned being a producer and I know that I have some preconceived notions. I just am curious if people make certain assumptions about you being a producer now. I don't know if any are like actually vocalized, but I do get like this sense. And, you know, I think part of this probably bleeds over from uh, people knowing me as a guitarist. I get this, uh, this feeling sometimes that people, and maybe this is any, this, this might just be not a preconceived notion about me or producers, but maybe just people feel weird when they're put in that like studio, you gotta be perfect situation that they, they feel like they've got to like apologize whenever they screw up when they're recording or something like that. And, like they're, they feel like they're wasting my time or something. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm getting paid. If, <laughs> the more you screw up, the more money I get paid. But yeah, you're like, keep it up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not, not really, obviously like I, I want them to get like a good take and not have to stress about it and things like that. But yeah, I think there's, there's this notion that people get when they go into the studios and they're, dealing with their engineer or whoever that they think that they've got to like uh, show up for them or something. Yeah. And if they don't, they get like super weird about it or they think you're mad at them or that you're getting frustrated or with them or something like that. Which I don't know. Maybe, maybe other people do, but I don't know. I don't really feel that personally. Yeah. I think you have to admit as a musician, I think it changes the dynamic a little bit when you're on that side, you know, cause we've been on, yeah. Uh, well, you've been on both sides. Yeah, I've been on right, the production, right. uh, the rec- recording side as a musician, and uh, it is it is tough, you know, especially like when you go and you're in a band, and oftentimes your bandmates are there, so you're like, yeah, you're isolated. When normally, you know, you're at practice, the whole band is playing. It's not just a spotlight on you, uh, and yeah. even more so, you know, because the the. <laughs> the production is going through the speakers there in the studio and everybody can hear it. Yep. And it's really, it's a vulnerable experience and yeah. uh, you can get a little too inside your head on it. Uh, it's, it can right. be difficult, you know, 
uh, as a vocalist, I feel really vulnerable, you know, yeah. especially having to scream, you know, doing metal and I got to go into a booth and be able to just scream on cue, you know, yeah. all right, go ahead and start from, uh, we're going to pull it in here in a minute and 13 <laughs> seconds, right before the breakdown. And I'm going to do to give me a good guttural here. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like, okay, yeah, sure. Let me do that. And, uh, yeah, you don't have that. Um, I, that was probably one of the more difficult things. Uh, I always did try to be as professional as I could be and knock out things as in as few takes as I could. Cause you mentioned that thing of paying. And I do think on that yeah. aspect, I think they know that they're paying you. You don't have to right. say that or think that they know that. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. That gets you inside too. You're like, shit, man. If I my bandmates are gonna kick my ass if I don't get this right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's just and yeah, it's it's different. You know, it's one of those things. And if you've never done it, it can be rough. And then as a producer, yeah. you have to understand how to say things to people in a way that um doesn't come off like you're saying this sucks. But yeah, you, you for sure if you want to put out a good product that represents you, you do got to say something at some time or some point mm -hmm. you go, ah, guys, I, I just want to tell you that I'm not sure about what you're doing here or that thought. You know, I had a, uh, I went in for our first recording session to do some vocals and the guy was like, you know, you're flat there. And, uh, I'm like, Oh shit, he's not wrong. But I was like, damn it. You know, yeah. He's like, can you? That try was with one of your older, one of your bands before the White Lotus. Yeah, yeah. So it was with Among the Fallen. It was my first recording yeah. experience, and uh, he's like, "You're flat there," and uh, he's like, "Maybe try it again." And then I'm like, inside my head, I'm like, "Fuck, have I always done it flat?" <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 tough. Well, so I, I thought of a couple things as you're talking about that. So one thing, particularly with vocalists, is. I, it's really weird for vocalists. I feel like when you're recording, especially when you're talking about other people listening and hearing it blazing through the monitors and things, because you're just getting raw vocals, like hearing just like unmixed, unprocessed, raw vocals. And if you've got it next to even like a slightly mixed, like full instrumental, the vocals are going to sound like trash no matter who it is just because, and they're, they're probably going to be a little louder than they should be because you want to be able to hear it for if there are any little imperfections and things like that, which, which that just makes it even more awkward too. But I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's hard to get around that when you don't, when you're on the, the side that I'm on now for the, the most part, like I know it's going to sound like crap, but I can listen past that. It's kind of one of those like, uh, missing the forest for the trees type things. So if you can see the big picture of what it's going to ultimately be. You can, you can be like, Hey, do you know those vocals? They sound good. They just sound weird right now because this isn't mixed. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, when you're doing practice, like normally, like you might put a little reverb or, you know, something running through yeah, your PA, yeah. you know, just to keep the vocals from sounding so dry and they usually yeah. do that at shows too. And then you also get natural reverberation from the room yeah. and it doesn't sound dry. You know, you're in a recording area and they make it as dry as possible. 
when you go yeah. into a room it's soundproofed and you don't want anything in outside of what that natural sound is yeah. so that exposure like you you've never heard your own voice that way yeah it's yeah. a very unnatural thing it's unusual yeah yeah you're like well there's there's a lot of people who whenever they're tracking that they'll record people with already a little bit of EQ, a little bit of reverb, a little bit of de delay, a little bit of compression, which, I mean, that's fine if that's the way they work. I don't, I like working raw whenever you're tracking, because then you can really hear very obviously and clearly if there's any mistakes, yeah. where really at that point, what the reverb or the delay would be doing would just be uh, masking any of that. And I think the argument there is, is, well, if it, if it sounds good, then, then who cares? Cause it's going to sound the same way later, but if it could sound better later, because you took more surgical accuracy at the, in the beginning, then I don't know why not start from that point. I have gotten to where I, I will run, um, some compression like on the way in just to kind of level out. Cause you know, people's natural vocals, unless they're like incredibly ridiculously tight, they, they get, a, they'll get a little louder or a little quieter at different points. And the impact doesn't hit quite right. And it's not balanced quite exactly as it should. So you're going to have compression on it no matter what. So just to make it a little bit more soothing for the person who's doing the work, I'll put compression on it, like on the way in. And that's honestly, I think having compression on is probably more important on the way that the vocals sound in the mix than reverb or delay or any of the other more like fancy wet effects are really. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it's interesting to hear you like go through all the, the, the technical aspects of it in, 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 you know, still in a, uh, layman bit. Um, yeah. what, like once you started like getting into the recording bit, what do you think was like one of the, the toughest things for you to figure out? Oh, dude, it was a nightmare in the beginning. Like it was, I was just terrible. And I, I still, I feel like I'm just now to the point where I can listen to some of the mixes that I've done in the last six months to a year and, and think like, man, this actually sounds pretty okay. But I mean, in the beginning, still it was not just, good. Still right, not good. Yeah, Pretty okay. Yeah. Well, and you know, like everybody's their own worst critic too. That's so, true. But I don't know. In the beginning, like I kind of knew how to use EQ just from EQing on my guitar amp or EQing your speakers in your car or something stupid like that. But you still, you don't really know how to use EQ for mixing and mastering but you kind of understand what it, what it is and how it works. But compression, I had, I, I didn't know how to like listen for it correctly. I didn't understand how it was supposed to work or sound. It took a long time for me to tune my ears to know how compression was supposed to sound properly. And then, I don't know, other little editing things, just kind of like knowing how to cut parts into each other so that they actually transition and they sound smooth and they don't sound like two parts that were recorded at different times that don't sound natural when they transition. 
those sort of things were really tough in the beginning. So, yeah, because for people that don't know, like if you get a group that comes in uh, <clears throat> and they're recording on something that has tubes, mm-hmm. a tubed amplifier will sound different day to day. Yeah, so that, that's difficult. You know, that's yeah. a, that's a real tough thing. Like, uh, and an amplifier, guitar amplifier, and you might be able to explain it better than I can. But they have these uh, large tubes um, that are providing. Um, how is it working? So, so there's there will be usually two sets of tubes in a tube amp. There's smaller ones that are preamp vacuum tubes and then the bigger ones that you're talking about that you normally can see that they kind of try to show off in the design of tube amps are the power tubes so the power tubes actually just provide power to the amp and they're just big vacuum tubes they almost look like a light bulb that really what's what's interesting is the ones that don't get shown off just because they're like small little tiny light bulb looking things are the ones that actually give you the sound, which are your preamp tubes. That's that's what gives you like the coloration of your amp and things like that. Hmm. Yeah, I knew a basic understanding of how it worked, but I knew you would have a more yeah. <laughs> end up. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. those things, uh, you know, tubes and things of that nature, they act differently on different days. Yeah. Uh, I know. I remembered we would, you know, a lot of times as we would practice, the amp would warm up and it would sound warmer and richer as we would go on if you go too long then it sounds overworked and it starts to distort a little bit and you know it's those things are beautiful they present produce really beautiful sounds you know you like your pv 5152s and uh your mesa booger mesa mesa boogie road kings and you know some of those more popular amps because i mean they sound great um but now i feel like it's got to be for you a bit of a heaven sent in a way because now the digital reproductions of all these things sound damn near indecipherable. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, so the last parallel colors album that I did, um, I, it, all of the, t- ah, I take that back. There's a few parts that I used some tube amps for the like 95% of the album is recorded on a, uh, on an XFX. And honestly, it's one of those things to where it, it sounds, it may not sound exactly like your amp, but the amp simulations and the speaker cabinet simulations, they sound exactly like a real amp. Like that you wouldn't be able to, it, you could send, you could show them to probably anybody on earth. And I don't think that they could tell the difference between a well-recorded tube amp like say a 5150 or something and the axe effects simulation of 5150 like they're the the simulations are just shot that well and yeah. they mimic the real things that well you, you could listen to them and say, and say that one sounds different from that one but it would be the same thing as what you were just talking about is well this 5150 sounds different today than it did a week ago exactly it's about that equivalent. So, and, you know, but, it's, vocalists are the same. I sound different yeah. today than I did yeah. yesterday. My tone's slightly yep. different. And, uh, you know, I guess maybe that's the beauty uh, because music is kind of meant to be this organic thing that happens yep. in that moment. 
Uh, and a good album should be a representation and a capture of that moment. And, and in a way it is, you know, it's, it's a culmination of moments and the best moments, um, regardless of what you're doing. And, uh, I think mm-hmm. that's the beauty of it, you know, and, you know, I don't want to go too far down like specifics on all this, you know, we're <laughs> using nerd rabbit holes. Yeah. We're the people are gonna be like, Oh my God. Ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, just understand like if you've never been in a studio setting, um, you are capturing a moment in time. Yeah. You know, and those musicians were in a unique point in their lives and the producer was, you know, as you mentioned, that might've been that producer's third album and you get to hear the growth in that project that yep. he did based upon the pre- two previous. And I think it's, it's like many things in life. It's a constant learning curve for everybody involved. You know, as we recorded each album with each band, there were things that I took away to take to the next production mm-hmm. um, to make it that much better. You know, and uh, I know later when we went and recorded with Jordan, uh, what was Jordan's last name? Give me a shout Haynes. out. Jordan Haynes. Uh, Jordan Haynes um, was in Artifacts Pareo. Um, great a local producer. Uh, really great to work with. You know, and by the time we got to him, I was able to knock stuff out in a way that I couldn't have 10 years before that. You know, just yep. because I'd been in that setting so many times and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew exactly where I was going to layer things. And it made my job easier, made his job easier. And it's just like anything. It's practice. Yeah. Right? So, um, <laughs> as a producer, have you ever had like a, a moment or situation to where... <laughs> how to put this nicely. And I know you can't name names and whatnot because it depends on your business, but have you ever had somebody that was so difficult to work with? You're almost like, is it worth the money? (laughs) Uh, not, not yet. Not that bad. Um, do you mean like their personality or their performance? Oh, (laughs) those are two very different things. They're not wrong. Yeah. Either. Either. Uh, no personalities. Most people that I've had over and granted, I, I've only been doing this for money, like, I guess, semi-professionally for, I don't know, three or four years. And it, it's not my full-time gig. So I'm not, I don't have like bukus of people around all the time just recording. But I've had, I mean, I've had, I've recorded with probably, I don't know, 50 to... 60 or 70 different people. And, um, I mean, everybody's been cool for the most part. And some people I I've known it's some people I've known super, super well, uh, dudes that I've been in bands with, like Eric, that you're talking about earlier, or, um, I know you're talking about, you've, you did a podcast with Vince from Belushi speedball. And I've been in bands with those dudes and been friends with them for as long as I've been friends with you. And uh, there's other people that I've recorded with that that was the first day that I ever met them, which I think is probably the more common thing for people who are doing it on a regular basis. But yeah, most people are cool. Like the, whenever it's people that I know, I kind of know what I'm getting when they come over when it's people that I don't um, sometimes it takes some warming up, but they've all been personally there. They've been fine. Um, there have been a couple cases where people have come over 
And uh, like you're like you're saying, I'm not going to name names or go into much detail because I don't want to call anybody out or anything like that. But I've had a few people come over where I'm like, oh, you probably shouldn't be recording yet. You don't really know this song as well as you need to know it to be recording it. Like you, you guys should probably be practicing this a little bit more before you try to get in a studio with somebody. And that that's one of those things where we were talking about earlier. I'm like, well, you're giving me, you're giving me money. So I don't, I don't care as well. I mean, it's not that I don't care. It's I'm still getting paid. So I'm not like incredibly frustrated about it, but it's still kind of like, well, in the long run, in the recording stage, I'm getting paid just because you're giving me your time. But once I get to the mixing stage and the editing stage, it's going to require more work out of me because I'm going to have to do more to make these performances sound like what you want them to sound like. Yeah. So that, that's kind of frustrating, but yeah. And for people not privy to how all this works, like you realistically should know the song forward and backward sounds cliche, but I'm not kidding. You better know that damn song. Good. Or well, brother. I mean, uh, (laughs) because, and you should, uh, for those aspiring musicians, play to a click. Do it now. Uh, Get practiced, people. Yes. You come in, and I know that that, that's been problems with members of our own bands. You know, Eric talked about that as himself as a musician. That was one thing that he discussed. He said, one thing that's made me better than anything else is playing to a, a uh, metronome. Oh yeah. It'll tighten mm-hmm. you up. Yeah. And I know that you guys play to a click live and, yeah. uh, it helps you, man, because it's, it's, it's that constant driving rhythm. That's never going to change, mm-hmm. especially in live experience. Uh, we, we have experienced this. Sometimes you get excited when there's a crowd there, you know, <laughs> especially when it's a new song or something like that. Yeah. And then you're off to the fucking races, man. Yep. You don't know why, but you play that song. Goddamn double time. You're like, yeah. Play a 30 minute set in 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah. what happened? <laughs> yeah. Um, but playing, using those clicks or just being really well practiced so that, you yeah. know, you, you get outside of that, that, uh, the desire to speed up out of excitement. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you're a lesser musician. It's just it's part of being a person, you know? Right. So that, that, that polished bit is important. Yeah. You know? At- as I was gonna say, as as I've gotten deeper into the production side of things, as a musician, it's it's really uh, driven me deep into like the drilling side of doing music. One one thing that I, I've realized a lot lately is a lot of musicians don't understand the difference between practice, rehearsal, and jamming. A lot of people think those three things are all synonymous. And to me, they're three very different things. Practice is something I do on my own personal time to get better. I either practice the song to know it better, or you're practicing what I call drilling, where I'm, I'm playing to a click to like make my, like if, I, if it's something that's uh, like a tremolo pattern, making sure it's even, or if I'm doing practicing my scales or things like that but you're like, that's practice to me. You do that before rehearsal. 
Like, I don't, I don't want you to be practicing on my time. Like that's very frustrating. But rehearsal is when you're all together as a band and you're practicing as a band, right? You're practicing your songs together. Like you shouldn't be figuring out how to play your parts on my time. That's, that's a phenomenal point. Yeah, yeah. Over the years, man, I think you encounter, and this is in every walk of life. I think this is absolutely universal with so many yeah. things. You yeah. get people that take things more seriously than others. And yeah, I shouldn't be figuring out my lyrics and trying to memorize my lyrics at practice. You know, those things should be done before I show up. You know, and you yeah. should learn your guitar parts or work in the rhythm for the drummer, uh, the bass yeah. player. Yeah, if if we're going to be as solid as we need to be, you know, and yes, we're doing this for fun. Um, right. But I played basketball for fun, but I still went and yeah. shot around on my own. Yeah. I would work on my free throws. I'd work on my dribbling. I'd, you know, I'd act, you know, as a hobby. You know, yeah. I could be considered professional now because I've been paid for it, but I'm not right. really. Uh, <laughs> yeah, same. It takes me I feel a that. Right. It takes me a ton of time uh, to run those lines. It takes me a ton of time. I'm still doing acting classes. Uh, I'm still working all that stuff out. You're never done. You never know yeah. everything there is to know about your own songs, about any, you know. So maybe Metallica, maybe the Rolling Stones. They've been playing those songs for 40 years. Maybe. 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 <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, maybe. So... I know that, um, and I've talked about this a, a couple times, metal fans are pretty damn cynical. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like of the people that I've encountered, they're some of the most cynical. I don't know what that's attributed to. Um, maybe it's because we all take such ownership of the genre um, because we're yeah. outsiders. So each of us is like, have things within that genre that's really beloved by us. Whatever niche uh, form that might be, metalcore, uh, death right. or whatever it might be. And I, like you said, you've been in this a long time. You've been playing music yeah. and playing guitar for a really long time at this point. So how have you noticed the music scene uh, in general change? A, for you, B, as a, as a whole, uh, what is your perceptions of how music has changed over those 20 plus years that you've been into it? Yeah. So like, I mean, on ultimate, like, macro levels, I mean, I think everybody notices, like, the differences between how the industry used to be versus how it is now, and that would just kind of be beating a dead horse for us to talk about it, because, I mean, we all know, like, what's changed between the days of selling CDs and then through Napster, and now everything's Spotify. Yeah. Like, we all, we all know that on, like, a macro level, um, particularly to, like, to Louisville and our, our metal scene is, uh, I mean, whenever me and you were in a band, we kind of had a booming metal scene and, uh, metal core was very popular and it was kind of newly popular then. And death core was for sure newly popular then. And, uh, that kind of translated into our little microcosm, of a music scene too. And it, I mean, it, it helped like we were the, the bigger bands were coming through here and we would get on those shows and all of our friends bands would get on those shows and 
people were turning out to shows even that were just local things because that's what was popular. And then I feel like we went through a period where that kind of, that died off. Like basically like our, our metal scene kind of went almost, it almost went away. Like there wasn't very many bands that were doing anything special or that were uh, having people turn out to shows. And now I feel like uh, within the last year or so, there's been a few bands that are some dudes that I know that are starting to maybe revive that a little bit. We're starting to get a little bit of a metal scene that's got like some cool sounding special bands again. Um, But what's what's weird now is I think the popular um, like rock, metal, punk, whatever like that kind of like guitar music scene whenever we were in a band was metal and now it by far away it's our punk scene is insane here now we have so many punk bands that are doing like really really good for themselves locally is it uh is it girlwood is that the big one yeah yeah yep they they're doing really well for themselves so, yeah, they're on. Uh, is it Son Sonoblast? Sonoblast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I knew that that was the uh, the label that picked up Lucy Speedball yeah. too, and Vince was really excited yep. about that. So, yeah, yeah. It's. Um, I feel like it's it's an ebb and flow. Um, yeah. You know, I've been around the scene just a little bit longer than you, just because yeah. you know I have five years on you. I think four or five. What are How you? Thirty seven. Uh, I'll be 35 this year. Oh shit! I thought more <laughs> on you. All right then. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, I've probably been in the scene since it's 12 or 13. Well, you uh, this is so you were in a you were in like a band that was doing. Sh- I was. I would bet that you and I probably started doing music around the same time, like in bands. But yeah. you were in a band that was playing shows before I was. Yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah. That's true. You Which a good makes point. That's a big, a big difference. Point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that experience is way different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. I think that we went through some ebb and flows, you know, back in the day we, we had some bands like Absize. Um, then, you know, there was that whole realm uh, of bands that existed at like the early points of the hardcore scene. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you had a shift that it came back around when bands like Surviving Thalia, uh, bands like uh, who was pretty big in the scene, Marai, uh, Caster Meaden. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, those bands come and go. Then you had like outside of like the real like heavy, heavy metal scene. Then you had bands like Flaw. You had bands like Prime yeah. 55, uh, Tantric. Um, I mean, we've had a lot of really uh, talented groups come through here, Days of the New. Yeah. Um, you know, all within that rock spectrum and, you know, going all the way to, you know, the super, super heavy stuff like bands like Cast Me and Breathe, Breathe and Resist. Um, yeah. But they've, it, it has seemed to come and go. We'll have a couple right. of years where it booms. And I don't know if there's the same. Um, the same situation going on in every city or every area. Um, yeah, who knows? Yeah, it's hard I'm to sure say. To some extent. Yeah, maybe. Which is a dwindling. Um, but yeah, I've definitely seen that myself. And, you know, I just had Joey Mertz uh, on the podcast. 
Uh, oh, yeah. Whether or not this comes before or after, who knows? That'll be decided later. <laughs> um, I had him on the podcast one way or the other. You can listen to it or uh, it's already out. Um, and he talked about the resurgence of a metal scene and he was really yeah. optimistic about it currently. And yeah. uh, that's good because it's something that I feel like a lot of people need uh, in the multiple genres, not just our uh metal scene not just our rock scene i feel like music in general really needs a home excuse me in every city because it gives kids um and people in general an outlet live music and live entertainment's important um just because it, we get that interconnectedness it's it's something that you can't recreate uh, right cuz i brought this up before how many times you've been doing a, a concert take a video and then realize you've never in your life Watch that damn video that's on your phone. <laughs> Dude, uh, I tell that to people all the time. All the, I never, ever, ever do videos at shows. Yeah, stop doing it. And that. I'm like, I'm, I, I say, I always talk to people when they're doing it, I, or like friends and stuff after the fact. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> are you ever going to watch that again? Are, do you, are you ever going to show that to anybody? Like, do you really care? Like, it's going to sound like shit. Yeah, every time. I don't know. Even as far as the technology is coming, you can't, (laughs) you can't help but overload when you have like, if you go to a big show, man, like especially some of the, well, even a small venue, you're talking about thousands of Watts of sound. Yeah. Going into your tiny, yeah. Little crappy cell phone microphone. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like live in the moment, man. And uh, I I feel like, you know, that's, that's a lot of what's being missed. In some of these situations, you know, it's like, just be there. Just be a part of it. Yeah. Uh, I will usually take a picture at the beginning of a band set um, just to go ahead and like get it out of the way and then be there, you know, just yeah. to have that picture. If I want to put it in a frame, put it up yeah. somewhere, may, may, make it a wallpaper. I've had some pretty cool pictures right. that I've taken. I took a couple cool ones of Meshuga. I took some cool ones of Zach Brown band that I use as a wallpaper. Nice. Uh, but yeah, then I'm just off my phone the rest of the show, you know, cause I want right. to enjoy it. And, yeah. uh, I don't even Snapchat that stuff anymore. Cause again, like you said, it sounds like shit, you know, right. it's not like people, somebody's like watching your Snapchat and it's like, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, dude, this is my jam. Like exactly. nobody's watching your Snapchat. No. Right. So hundred yeah. percent uh, accurate. And, you know, it, it's fun. I understand that it's like something that's beautiful and you want to relive that moment, but you're not. Not through yeah, your phone. not you're possible. Gonna, yeah, you're going to relive it in that memory, that shared experience. And, then you know, you maybe you meet somebody that was at the same concert, you know, or, or find out one of your friends is there and you guys talk yeah. about it and you relive it that yeah. way. And uh, just taking that enjoyed experience. I mean, from two musicians... I mean, it means a lot when we look out from that stage and everybody's engaged, you know, they're all looking yeah. up at us or they're moshing, uh, which is a direct response to the music, uh, mm-hmm. or they're singing along at the front of the stage. They're giving you the horns. They're putting your hand, their hands in the air. They're clapping. And that's, that goes across genres. You know, you're at a hip hop show and the guy's hitting that that hard last and everybody's with them and everybody's jumping at the same time. And it's, you can't beat it. Yeah. I mean, I'm always chasing those moments, you know, and because when you've had them, you always want them. 
<laughs> and that's yeah. the tough that's the tough part about walking away from the stage you know as a musician it, it's hard for you to to ever stay too far from it it's it's funny it's funny to bring that up though because i've definitely so i i think for a long time like ever since i was like a little kid i always knew that i wanted to do something creative like just as my regular thing that i did in life and I, of course when i was a kid like that started off as drawing um another random side background thing for me which you already know is i, I have a degree in fine arts um but so like as a kid i just uh i was always drawing because i didn't i didn't know about music i never had any instruments my parents weren't musical or anything like that and i kind of fell into guitar but then uh i knew that i i didn't want to be like a studio artist i knew that i didn't want to have like art shows and things like that i thought that maybe like doing animation or something would be fun but it never really was like the thing that hit the nail on the head and then whenever i went to school i thought for a while maybe i wanted to be a professor and uh became jaded to that very quickly after i graduated and then doing music i i knew that i never i never really wanted to be a rock star like that was never really like the, a thing that sounded fun to me Maybe when I was younger, I thought that I wanted to be like a touring working musician until like I did my first little tour. And now, especially being older, I know that I don't, I don't want to spend my life being on the road 300 days out of the year. I like being in my own personal like house that I've made my space. So basic long story to get to this point is like now I, I see my most ideal route of getting to be creative and not having to fall into any of those other categories is doing music production. I almost enjoy doing that more now than, than playing shows or even maybe even like writing music. I think uh, I've talked to a bunch of people before about, I feel like in bands in the past, uh, my role was always like the fixer role. Like when we were in, in the White Lotus, yeah. Eric wrote most predominantly most of the riffs, but then he, he would come to practice. Like you were talking about earlier, he struggled with playing to a click for a long time, things like that. He'd come to practice and he'd have these crazy riffs that would have really cool parts, but then he'd like show them to our drummer and, uh, <laughs> He would he would Our be like, dude, I, yeah. He's like, how do you, I can't even play? I can't put like a beat to that. Like, it doesn't make sense. So, my primary role was to do. I I would fix those parts because I, I had a very well, I had a good grasp of timing and everything, rhythm and all that. Then now I think it's. I would look back on myself then and think that I didn't know that much, but, uh, and it'll probably be the same thing 10 years from now, but I would, I would fix the riffs. Um, I wrote basically all of the guitar harmonies cause I had a little bit of a better understanding of scales and theory, which the same thing when I look back on what I knew then compared to what I know, know now, I didn't know anything. 
but then so so that's how it was whenever you and I were in a band together and then uh so I don't know if if you discussed this with Vince or not at all but I was I was one of the original members of Belushi Speedball with him and primarily what I did in that band what it was kind of the same thing Vince kind of wrote he he wrote most of the songs and uh we had this running joke with him and me and our drummer that uh our band was kind of like Jurassic Park and Vince was that guy who was like digging around in the dirt and found like the amber with the mosquito in it (laughs) but Alex and I were like the scientists who were able to like extract the DNA out (laughs) of the mosquito and make it into dinosaurs (laughs) and that because I mean you know Vince and I'm sure fair analogy yeah yeah so then he would do like goofy shit like just tell people like totally out of context and then not give them any context that our band's writing process was like Jurassic Park so but now basically knowing that that I was that was kind of like the role that I was good at and uh that now I'm essentially that person to like the ultimate level for bands who want to come over and record with me and that's um and I don't have to be on the road 300 days a year (laughs) but yeah which I have I have no interest in that at this point in my life well, so. only uh, if I could skip to the top. <laughs> if <laughs> Even I could have then, a, I still baller ass bus, and I could stay in the best yeah. hotels because, you know, I, yeah. you spend a third of your life in bed. So, yeah, I enjoy my sleep. Yeah, uh, I get same. very cranky. I'm not one of those like uh, those minds that like runs on fumes all the time. You know, yeah. I barely sleep. I've got so many things going on in the spine. Right. Well, yeah, that's great, man. But I need a little rest. So yeah. that would be the first thing to like stop me from doing it now. Is like, no, nah, I gotta sleep in my own bed. You know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, dude, I get older. I think even if even if I could jump straight to the top, I still think I would be like, eh, I'm only gonna tour like two months out of the year. I I can't right. be on your manager that long. would tell you to kick rocks. Made <laughs> <laughs> <Bait> it, bitch. <laughs> exactly. That, but that's that's what I'm saying. That's why I know like that's not for me. Yeah. Like I still love I love writing music. I don't think I will ever not write music. I love being in a band. I love the band. I love doing parallel colors right now. But uh, I I would I would not trade if I had the option to choose. Okay, you can either make a living as a music producer, or you can make that same living as being in a touring band as parallel colors. And I'm sure my bandmates wouldn't be happy about hearing this, but I would for sure. And I think they probably already know, but I would take the music producer route 10 times out of 10. Yeah. You have an analytical mind anyway. Like you're always the type of person that would like, you know, I would bring something to you, you know, for the band and you'd be like, well, how's that going to work out? (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I would have these yeah. big aspirations and it's like well how do we do that what, all right you're we're at step one right now and you're talking <laughs> yeah. about step 10 what are steps two through eight i'm like don't worry about it we'll get there to be yeah. fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah which yeah which is fine and it you know worked out and we had a good balance and you know a good way of doing things for a while while it while it lasted you yeah. know and 
Well, it, it's you, you hear it over and over again as I've talked to people that are, you know, in groups, you know, and you hear about the difficulties of keeping things together as a group. And it, it is yeah. tough. And, yeah. uh, but uh, I think one of the biggest ways that the music has changed for me is me. Yeah. I'm same. different. Yeah. Yeah. I'm different. Same. 100%, man. <laughs> like, uh, I came to your show and uh, I had to leave the room. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, yeah. it's crazy. Like, yeah. It was, a, it was a small room. Yeah. And that's crazy. That would have never happened to me at 20, ever. <laughs> uh, I saw some of the loudest damn shows I'd ever seen in my life. Like, uh, I saw Kitty at tech world. I don't remember if you said you were at this show or not, but no. that was the loudest show I've ever been to like in a smaller place. Yeah. Um, every time they hit the kick drum, my shirt, the whole shirt would go in and out. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> uh, I was like, <gasps> I was like, it's stealing my breath with every kick drum. This is <laughs> insanity. But, That's uh, funny, man. you know, I go out to your show and then, you know, I'm standing there and Eric, Interestingly enough, he was there too, and we both had to leave the room. Yeah, and my wife looks at me. It didn't affect her the same way, and it, you know we have damaged those things in your uh, your yeah. ears. Yeah, uh, so we've done damage over the years of practice when we should have been wearing earplugs when we can. That's uh, that's a funny thing that I think about. Was I don't like I sometimes forget how loud we used to practice when we were in a band. Oh, dude! In my bed, obnoxious. <laughs> That I mean, that was honestly probably louder or at least as loud as our show. Probably. And we did that every weekend for years. And that's the problem. <laughs> exactly. That's why. And that is the reason why I have permanent ringing in my ears now. Do you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's sort of, like I can't, I can't hear it right now because we're talking, but it's one of those things where if I lay down at night... I can that's hear what it. that is. Okay, it's, Chase. Yeah, that's what that's, <laughs> yeah, dude. You have that too, right? I do. Yeah, yeah. Normal people, like other than like normal people that aren't music idiots like us, don't have <laughs> yeah. that. They don't experience that. I just thought it was me. Fuck. Cool. <laughs> no. <Neat. Yeah. laughs> Great. It's all of us. Yeah, that's probably one of the reasons I can't sleep in silence. Um, yep. That and I grew up in a noisy home. Uh, so noise yeah. is com- comforting to me, um, mm-hmm. I guess in multiple, multiple facets, I guess. So I sleep with yeah. the TV on and I set the timer and then, you know, it lets me, you know, and it keeps my mind from racing too much. Gives me just yeah. a little bit of background noise and allows me to kind of relax. Um, well, I find the, a great way to bring these conversations to a close is by talking to people about multiple uh, means of inspirations for them. Interestingly enough, the white Lotus had a song called a means for inspiration. One of the last songs (laughs) we ever made. Um, I wrote it about my parents and not just about my parents, about your parent um, who is no longer with us, unfortunately. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I can certainly relate. I've lost my father uh, as well, uh, who was one of the main inspirations for that song. And, um, so what were some of the inspirations for you, uh, into pursuing music in whatever mediums that you did? Um, well, you know, like what I said earlier, I kind of fell into guitar. 
Mm-hmm. What I what I meant with that was uh, so our our old drummer who's in our band, he whenever we were teenagers before we were in ever any any bands, uh, we both liked to skateboard. We were super into skateboarding, and uh, he got a guitar, and I think it was just one of those things where people he looked up to play guitar or something. And, uh, it was one of those things where just when you're a teenager and you go over your friend's house, he, sh- he goes, look at this thing. I learned how to play on guitar. And then I'll be like, Oh, cool. Show me how to do that. And, uh, then one day I was at my uncle's house and he had this old Squire Stratocaster that he had had for like years and never played. And it was just kind of sitting out as a dire- decoration. And, uh, I picked it up and I showed him how to, how to play something that I learned from our, our, our old drummer. And he was like, you can have this if you want it. I was like, okay, cool. I uh, never would have thought from there that I would have ended up where I am now. Cause I, I just, I didn't have that initial spark to care about music other than just enjoying listening to it. But basically the transition happens was I started getting really into playing guitar. I was still really into skateboarding. And then every now and then I would hurt myself skateboarding and hurt a wrist or a finger or an elbow or something, which would prevent me from playing guitar. So then I would go, well, shit, I'm going to quit skateboarding because I want to play guitar. Mm. And uh, I don't know. It was kind of an odd transition from something that I never thought that I would care about doing into something that I... I had this other hobby that I was super into that I realized I was going to abandon because now I was into this thing that I never thought I'd care for. Um, so that's kind of what, and then the, the rest of it for guitar is just kind of natural progression of, well, now that I'm kind of good at this, maybe I want to do it with other people. Well, now that I'm doing it with other people, maybe I want to show other people what we're doing. And now that we're, and you know, I mean, you know how that stuff goes. You've mm-hmm. been in bands. Uh, the production thing that was um, kind of towards the end of the time that you and I were in a band together, I'd kind of started writing some music that was different from what we were doing. And uh, I didn't have a band that I was doing it with and I wanted to put it down somewhere so that I I could come back to it or that I wouldn't forget it. And uh, that's, that was my first kind of like, dip into recording and I was incredibly piss poor at it way back then <laughs> <laughs> that that would have been around like 2011 and uh I don't know it just kind of grew from there it was one of for me it was one of those things where I never really had um something that like one particular inspiration that like lit a fire for me for it it was just i started doing it and i enjoyed it and i was good at it and i put the time into it but i mean there were so that was kind of i didn't i never had an inspiration that made me want to start doing any of the things but i mean i've I've always had people along the way that uh were very supportive of me doing music things particularly my dad which I mean, you know, we, we all, we practiced at his house every weekend and he, he loved it. He never, he never complained about it. He wasn't ever mad about us practicing. And we, we were loud as fuck. We were ridiculously loud. And, uh, he was there for every moment of it. He was all about it. 
and he came to pretty much all of our shows. He might have missed maybe one. Yeah. Like even even shows that like we traveled for to like go when we went to like Richmond or like parts of southern Indiana and things like that. He even traveled with us to go to those shows. And then uh whenever we started doing the speedball thing with Vince, it was kind of still it was still the same way. We weren't practicing at his house anymore, but he still basically came to every show. So like he was, even though he, he didn't really, my dad had no musical background at all. He just loved ACDC. So, (laughs) uh, he, he never, he wasn't, I didn't really have, uh, he didn't inspire me to play music, but he was super, super, super supportive of me playing music. So that, I don't know. I don't know if that's really the same thing, but no, man. I mean, that's, yeah, we all take, take things in different ways. So, I mean, inspiration doesn't have to come in the form of a person. I mean, sometimes it yeah. is just happenstance and, yeah, luck, you know, and just a little bit, yeah. of, this, a little bit of that. So yeah, that's yeah, was, was great, man. Um, Good outlet for creativity. Yes, it is. Well, um, wrapping this up i'd like for you to take a little bit of time to promote anything that you got going on uh talk about any of the bands maybe give some of your information if somebody wants to contact you uh to set up a session or any of that stuff once uh big papa andy lets us off of uh being <laughs> grounded yeah yeah so uh the band is parallel colors it's instrumental post-rock I think is what the genre we normally get lumped into is we got all the social media accounts so you can get at us on any of those things. And we've got, we're all, our music is on all the listening platforms. So you can check it out anywhere that you normally listen to music at. Um, the recording studio, I still, I'm still working on what my social media presence for it's going to be and what exactly I think I've got a name for it, but I, I'm not a hundred percent set on it yet. So I don't have social media for it yet, but if you want to record with me, you can always, I I've got all the social media. You can hit me up on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. It's all chase Benson on all of those platforms. Um, or, you could send me an email. It's uh, rcbns02 at gmail.com. It's probably a bad idea to put my <laughs> regular email out there, but whatever. Here comes the porn. I know. Yeah. Uh, maybe call your uh, recording pl- uh, name should be the Red Beard of Death. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our, our buddy Josh used to always say that we should call, that me and him should do a recording business together and call it Redbeard records. I like the alliteration. <laughs> you can dig it. Oh. Um, well, man, I, I greatly appreciate you taking, taking the time. Uh, I love that this gives me an excuse to catch up with some of my friends and stuff amidst all this. And oh, yeah, uh, man. Uh, yeah. I appreciate you, man. Thanks. Word. <laughs>